Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another edition of The Bad Podcast. I'm Doug Maurice with Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis, and I'm going to try to modulate my voice more. I feel like I'm blasting people's ears in some of the earlier podcasts by screaming. I just think you you project way more than Ari and I do. I feel like I have a very deep voice, but it doesn't translate to like working for podcasts. I think we should go for an NPR feel. Yeah, yeah. I think we should go for an NPR feel. Because the season's over, right? Yeah. There's snow on the ground, there are candles in the apartment, and, and we're relaxed. And there's a high chance that whoever is listening is sipping whiskey by some fire in their house. So yeah, I just like hot apple like, cider? Yeah. So we're just going to be relaxed, Bill's wearing a cardigan, and we're just going to talk some football. <laughs> and we're just going to feel good about it. Uh, and we are going to talk about the 2016 Ohio State season and how in February we should be thinking about it because people love to put out early top 25s and they love to put out things like a way too early top 25 and then it's like of course it's way too early this is ridiculous why are we even talking about it but now we're going to use and reference these seven way too early top 25s and make a podcast about it so um, the latest one Ohio, uh, ESPN put out another way too early, which followed their first way too early, which was way, way too early, I guess. They put another one out after signing day. I'm not sure why they think they need to do that because it's not like anybody in the top 25 is going to play a bunch of true freshmen. And it's like, oh, well, Michigan got Rashawn Gary. Now they're going to be. I mean, Rashawn Gary's really good. He's not going to change the face of Big Ten football in 2016. Um, but in this latest one, Ohio State is ranked. 10th. And I find that interesting. And here's what I find more interesting. Michigan is third. So we can run through some of these other top 25s, but let that linger for a moment. Roll that over in your brain. Michigan is third. Ohio State is 10th. Okay, so Sports Illustrated has done one. They had Ohio State fourth, Michigan seventh. SB Nation has Michigan 5th, Ohio State 7th. Stuart Mandel at Fox has Michigan 4th, Michigan State 13th, Ohio State 14th. And CBS Sports and Dennis Dodd, they had Ohio State 5th and Michigan 6th. So there's a divide, a pretty equal divide between whether Ohio State or Michigan should be the highest ranked team in the Big Ten in the imaginary February top 25. So before we get into this imaginary world too much, Bill, I'll ask you straight out, who should be considered the Big Ten favorite here in February, more than half a year before the start of the, before the start of the season? Should it be Ohio State or should it be Michigan? I think it should be Ohio State. Um, Homer. Yeah, I'm just I'm a Homer. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's it's. I understand why people want to put Michigan that high and I think part of these things too is like you want to get that information out there just in case you're actually right and you can look back Ooh. seven months later and it's like see I told you so 
Um, and, that's, and if you're wrong, there's no consequences. Yeah, yeah, right. like, oh, it's a way too early top. And that's why I think Kent State's going to win the national championship. <laughs> um, no, I think Ohio State should should right now still be considered the favorite. I know Ohio State lost a lot of players, and, and Michigan didn't. They have some fifth-year guys coming back. Um, I'm going to probably mention this a lot as we talk about these early rankings, but the thing I always look at is the quarterback, first and foremost, and Ohio State has its, and I don't know who Michigan's quarterback's going to be. So as long as Ohio State has JT Barrett and they have some guys back despite the early departures, Urban Meyer's recruited well. Um, so at this point, I still say Ohio State's the favorite. But, no, but Bill, the thing you're forgetting is no matter who the quarterback for Michigan is, he will be shaped and formed That's true. by the strong hands of Jim Harbaugh. I forgot. So it is player X coached by Jim Harbaugh. And if it worked for Jake Rudock, it might work for a lot of people. Actually, I think people are saying it very well could be this John O'Corn guy from Houston, who, believe it or not, yeah, left Houston when Tom Herman got there. Transfer from Houston, sitting at he sat out this past season. Unlike Rudock, he wasn't a transfer who could play right away. Mm-hmm. Um, they have this was it Brandon Peters, I think, was their recruit mm-hmm. quarterback recruit in this class. They're not going to play a true freshman. They got Zach Gentry last year too. Right. I don't I don't remember if he was already committed or if Harbaugh went out and got him, but they had a quarterback in last year's class. Okay, the thing, and I'll just say I look at. Three things, because I have to do a top 25 for the AP poll that I pull out of my butt five <laughs> minutes before it's due every August. Um, I look at the two lines and quarterback. Okay. Offensive line, defensive line, and quarterback. And so while I would give Ohio State an edge over many, many, many teams with JT Barrett, Bill, you and I both wrote things this week. I looked at the defensive line. You looked at the offensive line. Lots of new guys there. So those are big question marks, I think. Legitimate question marks about Ohio State. Ari, Ohio State or Michigan? I am, like, so conflicted because I thought that when you watched them in their first matchup between Harbaugh and Urban Meyer, that Ohio State was clearly, clearly more talented across the board at every position, it felt like. I agree with that. Which is part of the reason why Ohio State did what they did up in Ann Arbor. But you also have to take into account that Ohio State lost nine guys uh, early, and they lost some seniors, and, and the team's going to be a little bit different. From the point that we're sitting at now, I still think I'm going to give Ohio State the edge because I don't think that one lost class and one gained class is enough to completely eliminate that talent gap, um, especially because I think Ohio State has also brought in similar, if not better, classes than Harbaugh has so far. So if they're both going to be relying on young talent plus what Ohio State has returning, I just think that Ohio State right now still has an edge in talent. And, and from what we understand and what we've noticed in the past when it comes to new coaches, um, you know, maybe not Urban Meyer because he didn't inherit a problem at Ohio State when he took over for Jim Trestle, but it takes a few full recruit, recruiting classes to really change the scope of the talent level of your entire roster across the board. So right now I think Ohio State is already at that point that it's going to be more talented than other teams, and I still think Michigan and Harbaugh have building to do, and I'm not sure that one class – one very good class is enough to really change the entire scope of both roster talent levels. I'm going to tell a little story that I remember very clearly from uh, the start of the 2014 season when we were at the team hotel and everybody was checking in and people were talking about Ohio State and that 2013 Ohio State team had been very good. Um, Lost to Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship, lost to Clemson in the Orange Bowl, had some key guys. And I was walking around and I said, like, everyone thinks you just snap your fingers and replace these guys. But I don't know how they're going to replace Ryan Chazier, who was an absolute game changer at linebacker. And I don't know how they're going to replace Carlos Hyde. I don't know for sure 
who they have on the roster that's a guaranteed replacement for those guys. And now here we sit two years later, and it's like, oh, yeah, they had Ezekiel Elliott and Darren Lee, and they were better. So we know Ohio State has talent, right? And we know that if, for instance, you look at the defensive end position for Ohio State, they have Tyquan Lewis returning as a starter. They have Sam Hubbard returning as a guy who played a lot, had more sacks than Joey Bosa last season. Looks like the other starter there. They have a guy like Jalen Holmes. If Jalen Holmes played for Purdue, Daryl Hazel would be running through the streets of West Lafayette talking about how they have this guy who's a beast and is going to change Purdue football. At Ohio State, Jalen Holmes is just another guy who might get on the field, who might not, who might not be able to get past Sam Hubbard, who might get passed by Jay Sean Cornell and Jonathan Cooper and may never see the field. I don't know. My question is, do you believe in the theory of there's just going to be somebody? They haven't played yet, but when you look at the recruiting classes, you look at the Jalen Holmes, you look at the Damon Webb, you look at Chris Worley, you look at um, Isaiah Prince and Jamarco Jones on the offensive line, you look at Noah Brown at receiver, and all these guys who were just waiting Do you just believe, yeah, they're going to be good because they recruited well? Or how much do you need to see it first? Like how much do you believe in the talent? Or how much do you need to see the talent do something before you have confidence in it? I don't know. It's like 50-50 for me. You know the recruiting classes better than I do, Ari. But I, I, I get hung up on the fact that so many of these guys have never played. They have no idea what it's like to play in a game like they're going to play at Oklahoma in the third week of the season. So that would make me a little bit nervous. I know they had guys who hadn't played coming into 2014, but then look what happened. They played Virginia Tech, who was a halfway decent team, and they lost because they had guys who weren't um, used to playing on a stage like that, including the quarterback. So I think having an experienced quarterback certainly helps you through stuff like that, but the fact that so many of these guys who we're talking about who are going to replace the, the starters from last year have not played any kind of significant football would scare me a little bit. I believe that theory because I remember when the three of us took our first road trip together to Navy, all of a sudden like Darren Lee was awesome right away, and I think that it was like evident. I mean, I don't know. Do you guys remember that game, and do you remember thinking like, holy crap, Darren Lee is going to be That was my first game. I just wanted to make sure that I was spelling words correctly. <laughs> but like to me, it was like, holy, I don't know what yeah. you thought, but like, there's certain people who come out and get it, and you, you know they get it right away. Like Shea's year as a freshman or whenever he played first, I can't remember. There are certain talent levels and certain guys who kind of just grasp it immediately, and you can tell. So I believe that theory to a certain extent. I don't know if that's the answer to losing nine guys early. Because they lost a ton. So I think that there's going to be guys like that who come in and are like, wow, this guy's really good, but I don't think it's going to be everybody. So they're not going to be nearly as good as they were last year, I don't think. But I do believe that there are certain positions and places on the field that kind of lend that self, you know, itself to that. Because it's not just one guy. you got to remember that these are, given the fact that like the sophomore 2013 class developed so quickly, there are now two or three classes behind that class that have been on the roster for two years. So they're not going to be quite as young as that 13 class was when they first started. So there's a few guys who are going to be redshirt sophomores coming in that have been on this roster for two years, and it might be more beneficial for Ohio State now throwing in a guy who might have not played yet but has also been on – I mean, Chris Worley is the perfect example. I mean, he's been on the roster for three years now, and he might be the new Darren Lee, and he hasn't played yet much, 
but he has some experience on the field, and he's been through practice in another spring and another fall and a lot more than, than Darren Lee was before he played, so that could be beneficial for them. And it is. Like, I remember in 2013, not to com- constantly confuse people in referencing different years, but 2013, Urban Meyer's second year, was a year when they had a lot of questions. We, I think we were talking about, like, no, wait. That's when they were all gone. That's Anyway... Offensive line sometimes is an experience, sometimes it's not. Yeah. 2013, they were veteran because they had Muhort and Corey Lindsley and those guys back. But then 2014 was when they lost all those guys. They lost uh, Andrew Norwell, Corey Lindsley, Jack Muhort after the 2013 season. And you wondered, how would the offensive line be? And then they won the national championship in 2014 with the line that had Taylor Decker and a bunch of question marks going into that year. So Urban Meyer called this a development year. He said that at signing day. I thought for a second he was almost calling it a rebuilding year. But I think that's an unfair characterization. And, And you guys, I think, have this right that it's more that he's just talking about we have to develop people. We will develop people. And he was comparing it to 2014 because that team did have question marks because they were replacing, you know, Philly Brown had been the leading receiver in 2013 and he was gone. They missed all, you know, those guys on the offensive line, they lost four offensive linemen after 2013. They lost Ryan Shazier to be the number 15 pick in the draft. They had some big holes to fill. They lost Carlos Hyde and they filled them. Like, do you, do, do you think that's a valid comparison? Urban Meyer's making that comparison. Do you think... 2014 to the upcoming 2016 season is a valid comparison or because that group that was going to be filling in in 2014 was that amazing 2013 recruiting class and maybe they didn't quite recruit quite to that level the past couple years is that an invalid comparison in some ways because it's not necessarily Ezekiel Elliott, Joey Bosa, Von Bell who are waiting. I think it's a fair comparison. The thing is like in, in hindsight that 2013 class was awesome obviously. If depending on how much stock you put in recruiting rankings and like the star averages and points and things like that, the last two classes they recruited, I think, have been better than that 2013. 2013 was one has and one hasn't. They both haven't been because that 2013 class was like 88.88 whatever decimal points 247 does, and I thought the last two. I don't know for sure about the the decimal points, but rankings, I think. No, in terms of where it's ranked in the country, like yeah, it was over two in the country, but I think the overall number rating. And then this past year they were better. Than that year, but I don't think that that was true because the following year, I think the 2014 class finished eighth or something. Yeah. So I don't think it's quite as good, at least on paper, as the 2013 class was. And the thing that I think is different about this year more than that year was I think there's just more people to replace across the board than there was on that 2014 class. It's it's in 2014 they were replacing some key guys. They weren't replacing eight starters on both sides of the ball like they yeah. are going to be doing in 2016. That makes it drastically different, though. They have a quarterback, so that kind of is a plus for this year's team. But I don't think that they're – they need Darren Lee and they need a few guys to replace really good players, but Ohio State needs these guys to step up and replace everybody. And when you lose as many people early as Ohio State did, you're losing NFL guys, and you need to replace them. And I don't think they have 13 NFL players waiting on the bench ready to go. Yeah. So if you if you were going to rank them right now, again, ESPN has Ohio State 10th. Sports Illustrated has them fourth. SB Nation has them seventh. Fox has them fourteenth. CBS has them fifth. So that's fourth, fifth, seventh, tenth, fourteenth. 
not we're not going to pretend that we're experts on the other teams in the country. Yeah. But just based on a gut feeling of what we know about Ohio State, where would you rank Ohio State right now in a way, way, way too early top twenty-five? I think I'd put them in the eight, nine, ten range. Um, I think that that's fair. I don't know where number four is coming out, and like you said, I don't know who's returning what. But I think just based on what Ohio State's done in the past, the coaching staff, the fact they have a quarterback, and I have faith in who they have on the bench, just based on what we've seen as a pattern at this this program i think that like 10th would be a good starting point and then I, I could see them potentially losing to oklahoma and then like falling back to 14th and then maybe if they're good building their way back up into playoff contention by the end of the year but i don't think i'm going to throw them in the top five and just go well it's no big deal they lost their entire roster yeah i think i'd put them like you said we're not experts on what's happening around the country i put three of the four playoff teams ahead of them michigan state being the one i wouldn't put ahead of them so with that in mind i'd have ohio state like toward the back end i guess of the top 10 like you said like maybe Six would probably be as high as I would go, so like six, seven, eight, somewhere around there. But yeah, top five with so much, so many unknowns, I think is a little high. Yeah, I think I think I'd be somewhere between like eight and ten. I mean, I think I think for instance, I mean, if Sports Illustrated has them fourth, I think if you put them fourth, you are going Urban Meyer, JT Barrett, recruiting ratings, mm-hmm. and just saying okay. And, and basically, that's like what you can do with Alabama every year, right. basically, right? And I would put Alabama blindly in a top four. I don't even know how many people they're losing. Oh, yeah. No, I but no like that, And then the reason why I would is because of Nick Saban and, and recruiting rankings. And, but as so. you have pointed out, and as you pointed out so well last year when Ohio State played Alabama in, two, in the playoff in 2014, Ohio State is recruiting at a very high level. Alabama plucks five stars like... You're plucking apples off a tree, and they're number one every year. So I do think it's different. I, I think putting the team that has the number one recruiting class every year blindly in the top four makes sense. A team that, I mean, Ohio State's second, fifth, eighth, fourth, third, they're very good. They aren't bringing in the second best class every year. So yeah. I do, I think, I agree with your point. I think you can almost blindly do Alabama. I don't think you can do blindly do Ohio State to that degree. And like when we did our picks at the beginning of the year for national champions, you know, when we did our mock playoff picks before this 2015 season, I picked Alabama to win the championship. And it's not because I'm smart. It's because of that. Right. Yeah. Because you almost would just pick Alabama every year. I mean, I'm just assuming that they're going to have a Cyrus Jones at corner every year, and that's just going to happen. And right. it is. I mean, they're they're recruiting – at a, a whole nother level that's un, it's unprecedented in the history of the game. And, and we're going to only write about this a thousand more times between now and the NFL draft. There, there very well could be five, six, seven first-rounders for this Ohio State team. There very well could be 12, 13, 14 players drafted overall. They could possibly break records on both accounts. I don't think we're at the point where you just assume the talent level that's sitting there is equal to the talent level that we talked about with this what turned out to be an exceptional 2013 class that was also supplementing some very, very good senior talent like Joshua Perry, Taylor Decker, Adolphus Washington, Braxton Miller. They really did, I feel like, have something special come together with a very unique class that hit on a lot of levels but also supplemented an older group that turned out to be pretty accomplished itself. Yeah, it's... People might wonder why we wouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt like that, like we do to Alabama. because Alabama has a track record. They've done it for, what, since 2008 or whatever it's been? Mm-hmm. I mean, they just reload, and they're in, they've been in the playoff the last two years. they won three, four national titles. Um, 
Yeah, Ohio. I think Urban Meyer and Ohio State need to show that they can do it again before you give them that benefit of the doubt where they're going to lose a stock, a pile of guys and just replace them with 13 guys who are just as good. And now, again, we're splitting hairs here because the, differ, the difference is on one level are you saying – I mean, if you rank them in the top five, you're saying they can win the national championship. Mm-hmm. To win the national championship, you have to either be undefeated or lose one game in the regular season. I think, and by putting them somewhere to eight to ten, you're saying I think they'll lose two. You know, like I don't think any of us are sitting here this thinking this is an eight and four, seven and five regular season. No, I think we're thinking maybe this is more like a ten and two team than a twelve and zero, maybe eleven and one team. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think ten yeah. and two is good. Yeah, ten and two. Yeah, I don't think anything more. Than- it's like, like the thing about it is that everybody in the conference is also losing players, but nobody in the conference has done what Ohio State's done as long as they've done it. And I think that like with recruiting rankings, it's almost like investing because you have to keep doing it and watch those dividends. And I don't know if that's a really good analogy because I know nothing about investing. But. <laughs> Ari, Ari just had his taxes done today, so he's feeling, <laughs> feeling like, pretty a, froggy. like a stockbroker. You know what I mean, though, where you keep investing and you keep investing and you create a basis and a foundation, and I don't think that Michigan's done that yet. But Michigan State's losing Connor Cook, and outside of Michigan and Michigan State and maybe – a team like Penn State or Wisconsin, if things come together, is there anybody in the Big Ten that really can beat them even when they're in the situation they're in right now? So I think I could see them losing to a team like Oklahoma and then dropping one more game in the Big Ten and having a pretty good 10-2, and two, and that's Ohio State's reversion. I think 10-2 and two seasons in the certain scenario and the, the situation they are with Urban Meyer is their version of rebuilding. So let me ask you this. Um, the Las Vegas Sportsbook came out with early national title odds. Bama's the favorite at six to one. Oklahoma and Clemson are next at seven to one. Again, that's Oklahoma that will host Ohio State in week three. And Ohio State's the fourth choice at ten to one. Are you buying Ohio State at ten to one or are you not buying that? Are you backing would you would you bet that? Or is that not long enough odds? If I were to bet that, I would wait for them to lose to Oklahoma and then bet them at like seventeen to one. But I, I, you know, because I think that that's more likely to happen. I don't think ten to one is is good enough odds for a yeah. team that has so much to prove. I do think that people bet on names, and I think when right. people go to a window in, in Vegas, they'll see those four teams and go, "Well, they were good last year." So ten to one for Ohio State without realizing, you know, I, I think sometimes with these odds, you have to like take into account that the average better is not quite as educated as like Ohio State fans would be on Ohio State, right? And um, you know, but you know, Alabama's favorite in every game because everybody loves betting Alabama. You know, it's not because those are the right odds, but I think that ten to one seems about fair for like where they're at right now because it'd be a good risk, but like it's not like absurd. I, I could not bet it on ten to one for a team with sixteen new starters. You know, I, 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 you know, I would think that again if you take the name recognition away, just with the unknowns, I feel, it just feels like they're more like a fifteen to twenty to one kind of team. Yeah, ten to one is is not. Uh... And I would never bet six to one on any team ever before the season in college football. It's Alabama, though. Okay, so let me ask okay, you I'm this in. again. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like, and I think I'm going to have a companion piece that was is running at the same time as this uh, podcast and another post that you can read because I'm intrigued by this. I feel like this they have the schedule backwards. The schedule that they played last year is the schedule that this coming season would benefit them, and the schedule that they're about to play would have benefited last year's team, i.e., last year's team was really experienced and had 10 easy games before Michigan State, and I think would have been better off getting tested, 
and I feel like this inexperienced 2016 team is going to be tested. Tell me if you if this sounds hard to you. We already said Oklahoma third week at Oklahoma. We know Ohio State very well is going to be an underdog in that game. Their third Big Ten game is at Wisconsin. Their fourth Big Ten game is at Penn State. Their fifth Big Ten team is home against Northwestern. That's a 10-win Northwestern team. Their sixth Big Ten game is home against Nebraska. Nebraska didn't have a great year last year, but Nebraska is going to be better than Illinois and better than Minnesota, and that's who they played in the cross-division games last year. And then, after playing at Maryland, then they get to Michigan State and Michigan. So again, last year, they had 10 easy games and then played Michigan State and Michigan. This coming year, they also end with Michigan State and Michigan. But before that, they will, they will have played at Oklahoma, at Wisconsin, at Penn State, and home against Northwestern and Nebraska. That's five games that I think are more difficult than anything Ohio State played last year before Michigan State and Nebraska. And they did obviously play Penn State, but that was a home game against Penn State. This is at Penn State and also might be a Penn State team that maybe will have figured some things out. Um, yeah. by getting out from under the shadow of Christian Hackenberg and a quarterback with skill that they didn't know how to use. That's a real schedule, is it not? That's tough. That's really tough for a team that they're in, that's in the position that they're in. And I, <laughs> This is going to sound crazy. I don't like. They're not going to lose the Bowling Green, but like Bowling Green's not an easy game either. I think Bowling Green's a little tricky. If Actually, Bowling a- Green hadn't lost their coach, I would almost put them on MAC upset alert, except that coach was so good he got the Syracuse job. So they're and they have, lost their best receiver, who you might remember. Yeah, they lost Roger Lewis. I think they lost their quarterback too, didn't they? I believe they did. But but I mean, the one thing when we've written about this, Ohio State always dodges. Like they play a MAC team every year, they never get the they good would. MAC team yeah. the year they're playing them. Um, so I think there's some transition at Bowling Green. But here's the thing: I think that also builds up. You you line up a couple decent games in a row, and all of a sudden. You lose a game you didn't think you were going to lose because you're still recovering from the week before or because something got shown the week before. Like when you line up at Wisconsin, at Penn State, back-to-back, when you line up Northwestern, Nebraska, back-to-back, when you have Bowling Green ahead of Oklahoma, it makes it harder to beat Oklahoma if Bowling Green's competitive. It makes it harder to beat Nebraska if you got pushed to the wire by, by Northwestern. It makes it harder to win at Penn State if you just were on the road the week before at Wisconsin in a really physical game. That's why the SEC is hard. Not because you lose games, but because you win games and they take things out of you, and then you lose. Mm -hmm. This, to me, feels like a schedule that much more sets up that way as opposed to last year, which was a a two-and-a-half-month walk in the park before Michigan State. And if Ohio State would have played this year's schedule, they might have... With one loss, they might have made the playoff. If that one loss was Oklahoma and or, opened their eyes away to Michigan State. Or if their yeah. win was to Oklahoma and they lost to Michigan State. I mean, they didn't have anything to they say. They had that eye-opening game in week yeah. three instead of week 11 or whatever it was. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I think that you're right. And it, it could be uh, beneficial in the sense that – I mean, I always think of this. Like that Michigan State game, the year that they won – they beat Michigan State on the road two years ago and they won the national championship in 2014. I always remember this, and I don't know why, but Gary on Conley had to come in for the first series. Yeah, he got um, burned. He got burned all over the field, and then they had to take him out. It was so bad. Who was injured? Eli yeah. Apple. Eli Apple was injured, then they put Eli in. But that's going to be Oklahoma for like the entire roster. And they're not going to have anyone else they're to put in. in. 
So it's like, like they might gone. lose that game, but like Gary on Conley says the Michigan State game was a huge, you know, so it might be beneficial in the long run, but that's the type of situation they're going to be facing early next year, and that's not good. In the modern college football world now, in the playoff era, where we have seen, I mean, multiple one-loss teams get in every year, and I think we're going to come up on the, we're coming up on the year where a two-loss team gets in. Would you rather have a hard schedule or an easy schedule? Would you rather, if you are a team that's competing for a national title, and certainly every year Ohio State, by being Ohio State, going into a year is, quote, competing for a national title. Would you rather have a schedule like this one, where you have what we would probably deem seven tests, or would you rather have a schedule like last year, where you have ten easy games and then two games at the end of the year where it comes down to everything? I think I'd rather have a harder schedule. I don't know if I'd want to have one this hard. But I think you'd want to have something that's more difficult than their schedule was last year because you completely erase the room for error, the margin for error that you have. If you have one tough game and you lose that game or you play poorly in that game, and that's what everyone bases your resume on because otherwise you were playing teams that you should have killed regardless of what the actual outcome is. If you're playing a game where you have seven games that people who are in a position in the playoff committee or making polls, whatever, deem those as good games and good opponents, you have seven of them and I don't know, you lose two, but they're good games. I think that that means more for you in the long run than it would beating eight teams that you should have beaten, if that makes sense. And again, I think we're going to write about the schedule, but just to to illustrate where the changes are, if you don't know this or have forgotten this, the Big Ten is going to a nine-game conference schedule starting this season. So last year, so this year they have three games against the West, the Big Ten West. Those three opponents are Wisconsin, Northwestern, and Nebraska. Wisconsin, Northwestern, and Nebraska. Those three teams are replacing Illinois, Minnesota, and a bad non-conference game. That is how stark of a difference there is there. And then instead of Virginia Tech, it's Oklahoma. The marquee non-conference national game on the road yeah. is goes from... A, a program that was in free fall, basically, by the time they got on Ohio State's, you know, they were a different team than when Ohio State scheduled them, to a team that was in the playoff this year, that people were picking to win the national title in the playoff, that returns a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback, and is on the road. I mean, that that really is a stark, stark difference. Stark. No, I, I yeah, I, yeah. Uh... It's just hard to think because it's like sometimes too when I look at these early season rankings, I try to think of like are these like what they should be ranked the first day the season starts or like what they think that it's supposed to look like by the end of next year. And like I could buy Ohio State losing a game like that to Oklahoma early because I I just at this point in my mind can't imagine how Ohio State's going to ever win that game. Um, And then like working their way back up into like the seven range by the end of the year. But I don't think that like – I mean, I don't know. Is that the correct way to look at it, Bill? I, yeah. Is it, are you supposed to look at it like the way it's actually going to turn out I don't or the know. way it's supposed to be week one? I don't know what their idea is with these. I, I would imagine it's when you make these preseason polls and these way too early things, I think in your head it's how it's going to shake out at the end. Right? I don't know. How do you I don't know. I think it's yeah. clicks. Well, yeah, it is clicks. clicks. Love, love clicks. I know I don't really know. excited about our, um, what percentage chance Ohio State has to beat all the teams on the schedule. It's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. It's going to be weird math this year. It like, is going to be weird math. Because like usually it's like no team, every other team is point zero one percent and then one team's like 96%. Yeah. I mean, the this chances, year, if, if we had to do that, I mean, last year we ended up basically saying they had a 50% chance, I think, of going undefeated. Um, 
the way we worked it out. I mean, if I had to guess right now what we want to come up, our final number to be, their chance to be undefeated against that schedule with the team that is replacing 16 starters is what? 5%? Yeah. 2%? I mean, only one team in America went undefeated last year. I mean, it's 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 not offensive. Ohio State, in our history of doing this, has never been less than 50% to win. Or like... What am I saying here? No team's ever had a better than 50% chance of beating them in our series. Right. So it's yeah. going to be interesting when Ohio State has a 5% chance to win. A 5% out. chance to go undefeated. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. But, but yeah, the Oklahoma game. And that's the thing. It's going to be a very interesting spring and a very interesting preseason because that's going to tell us what we really think. Right. If we go, oh my gosh, Noah Brown is 10 times better than Michael Thomas. Oh my gosh. Isaiah Prince looks like... Orlando Pace Jr. You know, I mean, like, yeah. if we're doing that all over the field, and then it's like, okay, they're going undefeated. Like, I don't, I mean, you know, that's out there. I don't think there's anything that can that. happen. And I just noticed Bill's hard part, and that's pretty rough. Looks good, man. Oh, I got to I gotta freshen up today for the it, podcast. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything I can see before they play Oklahoma that's going to make me think they're going to win that but, game. But otherwise, I yeah. mean, otherwise, then I think we think that our, our number of, like, the percent chance when we do it, the percent chance they're going to win at Oklahoma then is what? I mean, like 25% or something, right? I mean, yeah. like, you're going on the road. Here's, here's the other caveat, and I think is fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. And I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on Houston's schedule. Houston opens with Oklahoma. At Houston, right? Isn't Oklahoma going there? Yeah, I, I don't even, I don't know if it's in their stadium. I think it might be like at Reliant Stadium or something. I'm not even sure. Maybe not. That's pretty crazy. Houston plays Oklahoma, and Houston has a better than zero percent chance to win that game. Yeah. And I don't know how. I mean that, you know, I mean if Oklahoma's mad because they got upset by Houston, they'll might have a better chance to beat Ohio State. But given the Tom Herman connection there, still there is a here is. And probably a story I've been thinking about a lot and may try to do later. Can Houston win the national championship as a non-Power 5 team? Here's how how Houston wins the national championships. They have to get in the playoff first. They beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma beats Ohio State. Oklahoma wins the Big 12. And Oklahoma is a playoff team with a loss to Houston. And Houston goes undefeated. That's the path. That's that's a Doug. And, that's and, a Doug thought right there for and, sure. And like that is not. I mean, it's the same path people were talking about. You know, when Memphis was undefeated and Memphis beat Ole Miss, and what if Ole Miss wins the SEC and then the SEC champ has a loss to Memphis and Memphis is undefeated and then Memphis ends up losing. It's out there. It's out there for the non-power five team with the right schedule, who beats the right highly ranked team, and that team then goes on and has a great year. So it is. I'm just looking at Houston's schedule. Very Sunday. strange. See if anybody else had the crazy idea of actually trying to play them. Nobody did. They play Lamar the week after they play Oklahoma. I don't know. That's a trap game for Houston. Look out for the Lamar, whatever their nickname Stay is. Stay tuned for like six weeks from now when the Houston Chronicle is wondering why some guy in Columbus is writing about the Cougars path to yeah. the playoff. I think Tom Herman will talk to me on the phone about that, right? Hey, Tom. It's Doug. Can you win the national championship? <laughs> Click. Uh, okay, that's it for the bad podcast. With our slightly more modulated voices. I think I started screaming at one you point, did. though. <laughs> um, I could be on NPR. So uh, I'm Doug Maurice. You can uh, find all of our work, Bill Landis's work, Ari Wasserman's work, at cleveland.com backslash OSU. Uh, we have lots of basketball going on now. 
Um, we obviously still have football. Spring football practice for Ohio State starts on March 8th. Ohio State's Pro Day is on March 11th. We're anticipating some uh, NFL Combine stories in late February uh, with all the Ohio State guys that are going to be taken in the NFL draft. So it is the off season, but there's a lot going on. And, of course, we have you covered better than anyone at cleveland.com slash OSU. So for Ari Wasserman, for Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice. Thank you for listening to The Bad Podcast.